Mark chapter 10. You guys, I'm really fired up about this morning's Bible study and, and a very warm welcome to those of you here visiting for the first time. I got to meet a few of you here for the first time. We're really glad that you're with us. And, uh, you know, Rice Church is a new church and uh, just a few years and the Lord has done a beautiful work here. Most extraordinary, beautiful people. And of course, the Lord here is in our midst. Mark chapter 10, check out verse 46. The title of the message is, The Faith That Gets God's Attention. Verse 46, it tells us, they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 46. A great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And check out verse 49. I love this. This is one of my most favorite phrases in the scriptures. It says, so Jesus stood. What's the next word, you guys? Still. That stopped the Lord right in his tracks. Whoa. He commanded him to be called. They called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer. What's the next word, you guys? Rise. That's a great name for a church right there. I just had to put it in there. Okay, sorry, dumb. Okay, be of good cheer, rise. He's calling you and throwing aside his garment. He rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus on the road. You know, I have a dear friend that wrote, every speaker, no matter how universal, addresses a particular community. So if we wish to understand Pericles, we must put ourselves in the mind of ancient Athenians. If we wish to grasp the oratory of a Cicero, we must become members of the Roman Senate. If we wish to hear Jesus, we must become ancient Jews. The context here is just a few days before Passover. The reality is, if we were to go back 2,000 years ago, it would just be right about this time that we find ourselves. Ten days from now is the national holiday of the very identity of Israel because it identifies when Israel was rescued out of enslavement in Egypt, brought into the wilderness, and then 50 days later, Pentecost, you have the birth of the nation of Israel. It's like, what's happening here is you have multitudes of people, Jesus leading the way, going up to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the national story of Israel. I mean, just think of it this way. Think of like July 4th, you know. I mean, it's the great day if we just, you know, celebrate the Declaration of Independence that led to the Constitution, that led to the Emancipation of Proclamation. But imagine every year, you know, July 4th, everybody in the United States makes their way to Philadelphia. And they're celebrating, hey, you listen, you know, our history, Declaration of Independence, Constitution that recognizes Almighty God and the value of the individual, Emancipation of Proclamation, let's get rid of stinking slavery. Every year, imagine if... Our nation every year went to Philly to celebrate those things. You talk about it being ingrained in the very DNA of who we are in a similar way, in a similar way, but in a much grander way. You have at this time 
the children of Israel making their way to Jerusalem, the Lord said, I never want you to forget your deliverance out of Egypt. In fact, Leviticus tells us that it is a feast, which means a set time. It is a convocation, which actually means rehearsal, which means this. If you go back to the great deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt, well, obviously, one of the greatest turning points in history. Never forget the day. Okay, this year, it's April 5th on our calendar, but on the biblical calendar, it's Nisan 14. Oh, it's Passover. And actually, it was a rehearsal, we know this well, because we talk about it all the time, a rehearsal of a greater exodus. So in other words, the children of Israel delivered out of Egypt. Yeah, 1,300 years later, man, who's leading the way here? It's like Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's going to give his life on the very day that Israel was delivered out of enslavement. He will be lifted up on the cross on Passover itself. So you have, according to Josephus, like three million people headed to Jerusalem. As I mentioned a day, the Lord said, look, I want it on the calendar every year. You're going to bump into it, and I want you to present yourself to me in Jerusalem. I'm convinced, like, if there was a photograph from space to this region, you would see lines of people, tens of thousands of people making their way to Jerusalem, and this Passover is going to be like a Passover like never before. And along the way, what ends up happening is we just read, you have a blind man who cries out to Jesus like, man, he has an opportunity to get the attention of the Davidic king. He's going to take advantage of it. And it's like what he says about Jesus stops the Lord in his tracks. And and then their miracle takes place. G. Campbell Morgan said years ago, quote, there is a parable in every miracle and a miracle in every parable. What does that mean? I'm not sure, actually. No, here's what I think it means. It's like we see this miracle of the blind man receiving his sight. What does it tell us? It tells us that the king has come down, like the creator wrapped himself, human form. There's sin that leads to breakdown, but in Jesus, he's making all things new. He brings peace, shalom, wholeness, So this miracle speaks of what? Well, it speaks of the king, actually, has just stopped to give this guy attention and wonderful things result. But in addition to that, hey, it says a lot about the man because he exemplifies genuine faith. It's like, what is faith? Faith is being informed by the truth and then acting on it, and God blesses that. So it's like, here's the truth. Jesus is the king. Can I hear an amen to that? And he's come to make all things all. He believed that. It's like if you're here for the first time, or like some of this stuff, it's going to be, you know, take a little time to sink in. But it's a code word. When he says son of David, believe me, it's a very weighty term. And he's basically saying, I believe you're the promised one. I, I believe you're the ultimate revelation of God. It's like, I believe you're the reason why actually the nation of Israel was chosen, and that through the nation of Israel, the entire world would be blessed in the Messiah of Israel. And he believed it. Jesus honored his faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And they that come to him must believe that he 
is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we want to draw out, it's like, what kind of faith did blind Bartimaeus have? Because here is a guy who was blind, but he could see. And actually the Bible tells us that the key to seeing is hearing. The key to seeing is hearing. It's like, what does that mean? Hearing the truth, acting upon it, you'll see. It's like, it's not actually, truth is not necessarily something you see. It begins with hearing that leads then to understanding and illumination. So let's unpack this because we got a bunch to talk about. Notice in verse 46, it says, they came to Jericho. Well, Jesus has been making his way down the Jordan Valley. And for those of you who have been to Israel, um, you know, this is in the southern part of Israel. It's almost like the Lord was in northern California, like in the Sacramento area, if you will. And he's made his way down the valley. And uh, yeah, and he's kind of in the San Diego County, if you will, right? He's made, and he's made his way down a valley called the Jordan Valley. You got the Jordan River and east, of course, Jordan West. You have Israel. And um, it's been like, what, 50 miles, at least 60 miles. But he's in the area, and this is important to understand, where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan. And uh, this is where John the Baptist called Israel to come out into this region to prepare Israel for the most important moment of their life, which was embrace the Messiah. So Jesus is coming right into this area. And historically, of course, Jericho is the first city that was conquered by Israel, and it was conquered in a very unique way. And that is the Lord simply said, hey, look, I want you to march around the city, shout the seventh day, and the walls will fall down. It's like, oh, did that really happen? Oh, I absolutely believe it happened. But it speaks of the fact that faith simply means I'm going to step on the puddle of obedience, do what God's called me to do, and good things will result. There'll be the power there that he promised. The most immediate significance is that Jericho is the last stop before Jerusalem. So what Jesus is embodying at this time is the fulfillment of why God raised up Israel in the first place, as I mentioned, to lead the world into a whole new exodus, to bring uh, exodus out of the enslavement of breakdown. Hey, listen, COVID has been an accelerator in a lot of ways. It's, you know, like Ken Hughes mentioned this, the guys were reading it, but he mentioned, he mentioned like, you know, like the Star Trek when they go to warp speed and all of a sudden, boom, they're like in some other reality. COVID was not only a revealer of beliefs and ideas that people hold, but it accelerated the trajectory of those beliefs. It kind of like just brought this, boom, warp speed. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh. We're in this whole other, what is this? This is the world of alternate reality, man. I mean, it's just like accelerated it, right? And, and you see like, man, if you don't get belief right, hey, if you don't get faith right, because faith is the world of ideas initially, the intangible, God, we don't see him. We don't see ideas. We don't see words in the room. And uh, it's being informed by truth and it's embracing it and God blesses it and the just shall live by faith. Well, here you have Jesus leading this new exodus as God himself has come down. And the next scene here in verse 46 is, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, 
and a great multitude. Ah, crowds, caravans, families, friends. How many of you remember when Jesus was 12 years of age? It was like during Passover, so this was years prior to this event. But it, it says that, that Mary and Martha, his, his mom and dad, his stepdad, of course, left Jerusalem and like somehow Jesus got lost in the mix, right? So they had to come back to Jerusalem. You gotta understand, as I said, tens of thousands of people going to Jerusalem. Caravan, families, I mean, it's like, it just, and it says multitudes, right? And if someone were in need of help, it's like, hey, if I could use some help, I'm blind and uh, I'm asking for some help and things, you would be on the road during this time. And that's what we find here in verse 46, where it says blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, well, he sat by the road begging. He's on a major thoroughfare, right outside of Jericho, heading to Jerusalem. I love this place. I mean, actually, this is below sea level. And now they're going to ascend up to Jerusalem some 2,400 feet uh, above sea level. It's the last stop. And so now you're about maybe 12 or 14 miles away from Jerusalem. But here's our first point. We have it up on the screen. And that is this. Those who acknowledge their need for help outside of themselves, that actually is the faith that gets God's attention. You say, well, that sounds so simple. I mean, it is. But actually, that requires courage too. I mean, that requires being honest with oneself, right? You say, well, that just sounds like so weak. Someone who acknowledged, hey, I need help outside of myself. I mean, how is that a faith that gets God's attention? Well, for one, it's saying like, I'm not God, like God created me and he sustains me and I need him. I mean, that actually is wisdom, right? I mean, Paul didn't say, I can do all things through myself who strengthens me. I mean, that was the Stoic philosophers. That's the idea. Hey, if you just discipline yourself, you know, you can do anything you want. What a bunch of garbage. God created us. He sustains our life. Our life is dependent upon him. The most reasonable thing would be like a child. And Jesus said, you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom, like a little child to reach up. It's like, man, Father, I, I need your help. Can I hear a big amen to that? And as I mentioned, hey, that requires honesty and wisdom, humility, an accurate view of yourself, even courage. I mean, it takes courage to say, Lord, help me. It takes courage to say, like, Lord, I need you. Forgive me and heal me and change me. And no wonder Jesus began the greatest sermon ever preached in history. It's the beginning of the Beatitudes, which is actually the doorway into God's kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Another, the idea is beggarly poor. And it's like the idea is like, I just need help outside of myself. When we do that, we get the applause of our Heavenly Father. It's like, that's awesome. That's where he wants us to be. And he's going to gravitate towards us and help us as he gravitates towards weakness and brings his strength. Here's the reality. Those who do not recognize, hey, Lord, I mean, you created me and I, I need your help. And 
You know, it's just like, you know, I'm not, I'm not God, and you're God, and I'm going to recognize this is an act really of worship. Those who don't do that, okay, not trying to threaten anybody here, but it's making a point. Those who don't do that, remain blind. As we're going to see with blind Bartimaeus, he, like, is begging. He's asking for help. The Lord's going to stop in his tracks, and he's going to heal him. I love that. Look at verse 47. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love that. That is so loaded. In fact, when we go to Israel, right around this area, a lot of times we'll stop the bus, and we'll get off the bus, and we'll just actually cry this out. We'll just proclaim this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, thinking of blind Bartimaeus. And I thought we would do that this morning. You guys ready? Can we just, let's let's start here with Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Ready? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There you go. Yay. And what's the point? It's on the screen, you guys. Look, show me someone who recognizes Jesus is in close proximity, and he's right here with us. Along with the truth of who he is, that's a powerful combination. And that's what blind Bartimaeus is actually doing. Is the Lord in close proximity to our lives? Oh, for sure. He promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And when he ascended to heaven, and we see with Stephen, of course, who was murdered actually for his faith in Jesus, he had a vision of Jesus not sitting at the right hand, but standing, speaking of being fully aware of what what, uh, Stephen was going through. But look, one of the surest ways to give room to the Holy Spirit in our life is, you guys, seriously, is to be, like, fight for the present, like, right now. And here's what's true about right now. In fact, this is the greatest reality of all. Jesus is in close proximity. He's with us. Can I hear another amen to that? And I couple that with the truth of who he is. But I have to say, that's not always easy to do. It's not easy to be present. I mean, generally, you know, we're either in the past or in the future, but like in channel one of the past or channel three of the future, it's the channel two part, like right now. That really is the fight, is to be present. And the surest way, as I mentioned, we give room to the Holy Spirit in our life and his inspiration, illumination, is seize the moment. Don't blow it off. A faith, God rewards, trusts God's promises, that he is present and he provides for us and he's working all things out for the good. But if you look here in verse 48, for Bartimaeus, I mean, for him calling out to Jesus, he actually had to fight a little bit for it because it says in verse 48, then many warned him to be quiet. So it's like, hey, hey, the Lord's in close proximity. I'm going to call upon the son of David. I believe you're the Messiah. And you have others who are trying to shut him down. You know, trying to shut, and I had to say, not to exaggerate it, but I got to tell you, there are unseen forces, not to mention just feelings and circumstances that try to undermine the moment. We got to fight for the moment. What does that mean? I got to believe Jesus is in close proximity and he's the son of David. And I'm going to embrace that, and I'm going to believe it. I love that. 
You know, the context of Mark chapter 10, verse 32, is that Jesus is leading the way. So it's, he has his game face on. That's kind of how I would say it. I had a coach tell me that. So, you know, his wife, he was married to his wife for many years. He was a college football coach. And he, his wife didn't understand, like, you know, once it hits like Thursday and he plays on Saturday, Stanford coach. Anyways, um, is that he just, you know, he gets in a whole other world. It tells us that our Lord Jesus was leading the way. And it tells us, in fact, let's just look at it here. If you n- notice verse 32, it says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed and they followed. And, and as they followed, they were afraid. They were afraid. Jesus ended up setting them aside. Verse 33, behold, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the tree priests and scribes. They'll condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him, spit on him, kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. It's like the picture is what? Uh, he's setting his face towards Passover. He knows the hour for which he was born with this Passover connection. Actually, the Bible says it was in the heart of the Father from eternity past. In deliverance of the children of Israel. Jesus dies on Passover. When we're in the kingdom, the Bible says, uh, we will celebrate Passover, but we will celebrate its fulfillment. And we will see the, the, the still the, the nail-pierced hands and feet in some way, shape, or form, remembering that Jesus was the Lamb of God who bore our sin. I mean, this connection is from eternity past to eternity future. But my, my point is, is that, um, that I think, and just doing my best to interpret this, it's just, it's, 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 this is intense. I mean, if you look at verse 45, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the Lord is on mission. He's on mission. Perhaps one of the reasons why Bartimaeus is being shouted to, hey, can you be quiet? I mean, you know, shut up. Because like the, the Lord is at work. I mean, he's on a mission here. But it says here, I love this, he cried out all the more. I love that. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then it says in verse 39, Jesus stood still. It stopped him right in his track. I love it. You talk about getting the Lord's attention. And this tells us at least two things. One, it tells us something about Jesus. Because if you're new to the Bible, to say to someone, you're the son of David, oh, that's, that's like such loaded, incredible, weighty reality. I mean, imagine if you're walking through a crowd and you heard someone yelling, hey, strongest man in the world. You're like, wow, that's weird. (laughs) Or, hey, most handsome guy in the world, man. You're just like, who is that guy? I mean, first of all, who's going to stop to that? You know what I mean? I mean, if someone said the strongest guy, hey, greatest athlete in the world, who's going to, oh, yeah, yeah, you're talking about me. Yeah, 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 I know. I mean, on one hand, it's like Jesus here is either a lunatic to stop or a liar, or he's the Lord. I mean, for him to respond to this, 
Stop. Yeah, you're, you're calling me. It's like I can't, I, I, it's like you, 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 you're calling you're, and identifying me for who I am in truth. I mean, it's like we don't make up who Jesus is. It's not like we got this celestial salad bar we can pick and choose, you know, a, a little uh, a plate and make up a Messiah. No, he is, he is the son of David. He is the Davidic king. You know, later, Jesus will be before the Pharisees. All the great religious leaders and leaders, not just religious, but political as well. And he'll ask them the question, well, you know, who's, who's the Messiah? And the answer, well, he's the son of David. And Jesus said, well, then why did David call him Lord? And the point is, is the one who came through the line of David the son of David, who's, who's the promised king, is the Lord. I mean, the son is the Lord. That was his point. And they had nothing to say. They were just like so blown away because it was clearly made known in the scriptures. And so for Jesus to stop, I mean, I just love this drama. And um, it's so big. And for, for Bartimaeus, it says something about him, as I mentioned you know, he could not see, but, but he could see because he, he heard. And he, he had done his homework because he's actually saying that Jesus is the ultimate final king who's going to rule and reign on planet Earth. And, and he recognizes that Jesus fulfills a very specific bio. To be the son of David, have to be born in the tribe of Judah, have to be in the lineage of David, and have to be born in Bethlehem, for Bartimaeus to call him son of David, he would have to have done his homework. So he had his handicaps, but man, the guy could really see. He, he knew what truth is and was, and he acted upon it. And as I mentioned, when Jesus entered the city later on, he draws this out before the Pharisees that, you know, who's, who's the Messiah? Oh yeah, the son of David. Yeah, but why did David actually foresee that this son who would be born in his family, why does he call him Lord who sits at the right hand of Almighty God? The point is, if you get this right, you're going to see reality for what it is. Jesus is the king, and he's with us even now. Can I hear another big amen to that? And so let's continue. So he stood still. He commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he arose, came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, well, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabboni, Rabbi, the, the Davidic king, as a rabbi, I may, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I love that. What a question to ask someone, especially from Jesus, like, what do you want me to do for you? It's, that's, a, that's a turning point. Imagine the Lord asking you, like, well, what do you want me to do for you? It's like, how would we even answer that? It's like you have, you have his attention, and we always have the Lord's attention. So, so him to say, well, like, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, he's interested. He's interested. He's concerned. He loves us, you know. And, and, and the reality is, is that he always answers our prayers. It's either yes, no, or wait. He always gives us what is only good. 
But, I mean, he wants to converse with those who know he's in close proximity, and he wants to converse with those who know he cares, that he wants to be involved, he wants to step into our space and bring comfort, wholeness, and healing. But, you know, I mean, it could be that when blind Bartimaeus was asked from Jesus, you know, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, he could have said, hey, listen, I've been kind of dealing with Deuteronomy 6.4. Could you explain it a little? I mean, he could have asked them a theological question. I mean, he could have, and they could have had a great exchange, right? But he, but he goes big here, and he, and he asked, you know, he asked for healing. And the Lord does still heal according to his perfect will, but he does. And, you know, we're to covet the best gifts, and uh, what are the best gifts? It kind of depends upon what the situation is. Love is the greatest of all, of course. But just remember, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. For Bartimaeus, he believed Jesus could heal him. And Bartimaeus was healed. In verse 51, the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And it's like the Lord honored it, and I love it. I just want to say something before we move on. You know, as the Lord always answers our prayers, as I mentioned. I really believe that he can even answer our prayers past our lifetime on planet Earth. I really believe that. So it's like, hey, uh, you know, we talk about a bucket list and stuff, but the reality is, is that we're being prepared for the future. We are from the future. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus on planet Earth. Like if you think of uh, Abraham, and I've mentioned this a thousand times, how much did he see of, you know, God's promises fulfilled in his life? Just a very little. He saw very little. But look what's happened. My goodness, the whole world has been blessed because that boy left a very pagan city and God led him to Israel and uh, blessed him with the son that ended up, you know, ultimately Isaac and Jacob and the Messiah impacting the entire world. My point is simply that, hey, Look, when we pray, I, I, I'm convinced. It's like, yes, no, wait. And sometimes that waiting may even be a part of something that will be answered in future generations through our family. I, I really believe that with all my heart. The Lord only gives us good things. Can I hear a big amen to that? So true. And point number three is, hey, it's like the faith that gets God's attention. I love it. Those who asked the Lord, open my eyes. I mean, open my eyes. Because the Bible says, the eyes of your understanding. Just hear this, you guys. Look, you know, we have eyes inside of our head, of course. But, you know, what does eyes speak of? It's visibility, understanding. But then there's the eyes in our hearts and our minds. And Ephesians 1 says that you may know, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? It's incredible. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? It's like, okay, that's awesome. We need to unpack it. But it's like, what, what is it saying there? It's, It's saying, look, that our understanding of the greatness of God and the fact that he's in close proximity and nothing is too hard for him and he is who we claim to be, there are degrees of experience, the reality of who he is. I mean, I think John 
who sees Jesus in glory falls down as if he's dead. So he's overwhelmed with the greatness of Almighty God. So in other words, it's like on one hand, John knew Jesus in truth, but on the other hand, it's like as his life unfolds and as he grows in Jesus, it's like the color of who he is in that season of his life becomes even more pronounced. And let me just say, there is nothing greater in life than growing in the knowledge of the greatness of Jesus Christ. And it's like, if you think about it, like here's a man who is blind, so like all black. And then on a moment, he's just, everything is so full of color. I mean, there's such beautiful color in life. You know, I, I, for a while, I went through this little season of trying to paint, you know, just like totally kind of jerking it and stuff. Like, but anyways, but trying to find color, it's a, it's just a very interesting thing because it opened my eyes to the, the dynamic of color and shade that I hadn't even seen before. And when it comes to knowing the Lord, there's nuance. I mean, it makes a difference, like in the moment, to say, Lord, you know, I'm struggling, or I got this concern or this burden and stuff. Please help me. Open my eyes to your greatness right now. Help me see the pixelation and the color of how beautiful you are. It makes the world of difference. And this is so married to the hip, you guys, of being filled with the Spirit. Okay, so the truth of who God is, like, by the Spirit becomes shown in our hearts. We need that on a daily basis. The Bible says be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, I figured this out. Got a calculator. If we live to 90 years of age, that's 32,850 days. So it's like someone might say, well, look, you know, I've, I've experienced like the greatness of God. Yeah, I, I, my heart was filled with the Spirit, okay? And that was a few weeks ago. Bro, we need our heart filled every day. It's like it would be great to say, yeah, like 32,000 times our hearts need to be filled with the Spirit, bringing the truth of Jesus afresh to who he is. You know, C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The simple point is, Bartimaeus knew Jesus was Messiah, but it wasn't until the request for his eyes to be open that a whole world of color opened to him. In so many ways, Bartimaeus is really the poster child of all of our lives, it's so beautiful. Here's a, a blind man. Of course, I'm assuming he didn't choose to be blind, obviously. It is a blind man who could really see. I love it. You know, Paul was told by Jesus, open their eyes, Paul. Open their eyes. Like, they don't see, open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's like, well, I put you in a, a position and a calling to like, you know, deal with those who don't see clearly, open their eyes to the truth. The Lord is all into that, all the time. He's wanting to open our eyes. And this was a genuine faith. It was a genuine faith because it says in verse 52, the Lord said, go your way, your faith has made you well. And listen, blind Bartimaeus could have just like, okay, see you later. 
hey, thanks, thanks for doing business with me. I really appreciate it. But it, it says he received his sight and he followed Jesus. I love it. And it speaks of the fact, and this is point number four, look, the faith that God honors is the faith that follows Jesus for who he is, not as a means to an end, but as an end in itself because he's true. And that is the key to life right there. Can I hear another amen to that? And let me just say this, listen. You know, one day, all of Israel will follow blind Bartimaeus. You say, what are you talking about? Oh, because Romans chapter 11 says, blindness in part has happened to the nation of Israel. That's not to say there's some mysterious blindness over Jews, like they just can't see, they just can't see. No, most Jews, as we mention all the time, have no idea the, the truth of who Jesus is. But one day, national Israel will have those blinders removed when they, like Bartimaeus, call out to Jesus. And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When they recognize he's the Davidic king, it won't happen in a vacuum because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we need to bring the gospel not only to the world, but to our Jewish friends as well. Can I hear another amen to that? How many amens have we done? Like eight or 10 or something like that? Hey, listen, let's, let's pray, you guys. Let's pray. Father, Father, I want to thank you for your wonderful word. And I want to thank you, Jesus, you're here with us. And um, we ask, Lord, we ask, help us. Open our eyes afresh with the greatness of who you are. Hey, we're concerned, Lord, about our families. We're concerned about our neighbors. We're concerned about our state. We're concerned about our country and, our, and the world and its state and how uh, kind of, you know, went into this hyperspeed and we find ourselves in such a weird time. But you're greater than it all. And you have a calling on our life. And like Paul Lord, we just forget those things which are behind and press into why you have called us and firstly, to know you, to know you intimately. So I just want to pray, Lord, during this Passover season as we're kind of on the road, so to speak, headed to Jerusalem to celebrate what you accomplish and will accomplish because you're returning to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, I pray, Lord, for myself. I pray for all my brothers and sisters, our church family. Lord, open our eyes afresh. Lord, we need you. Open our eyes afresh. Uh, Bring awakening. Bring renewal. Bring revival to our hearts. Oh, Lord, help us. You've said in your word, we have not because we ask not. Like we, we, we say we need you. And we want our hearts to enlarge like tent pegs to get broader and deeper and higher to have more of you. Thank you that you have given yourself to us. We do have you, but we want you to have more of us. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone here that perhaps have yet to embrace you as Lord and Savior. And I just want to ask, just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just for a private moment, please. You know, Jesus said this. Now just think about this. He said, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open the door, hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. So the picture is, is that, look, in all of our lives, when we're born, it's not like 
we've opened the door to Jesus Christ. I mean, we, we have to do that. I mean, if we're going to do it. Jesus said there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many go that way. He said there's a narrow way that leads to eternal life, and few be that find it. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except to be through me. Hey, listen, all the major religions of the world contradict each other, which tells us they're either all wrong or one of them is correct. And Jesus said, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I am the way. And we know it for many reasons, but the main reason is because he resurrected from the dead. There's not an honest historian who could ever deny the radical evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. He's alive. And for 2,000 years, he's been transforming billions of people's lives. And he's not done yet. He's not done in our lives, and he's not done in our city. He's alive. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. And this is where I kind of like, okay, I got a, I got a decision here. Um, because it's possible one can leave Jesus Christ outside the door of their life. And he's knocking, and he's knocking, and he's seeking entrance. And listen, there's essentially three reasons why someone doesn't open the door. Number one, it's a moral issue. They're holding on to something that's keeping them from God's best. In other words, there's some sin, there's some compromise. The Bible says, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses soul? But they're holding on to something. And so it's like they're, they're not going to knock. They're, they're not, they're, they're, they're not going to they're not gonna enter into the, to the, to the to relationship. The other reason is they just never heard the truth. But, but we've all heard it this morning. And then... The last reason is because they just choose not to. Like they're holding on to sin in some way, but then it's like, well, I'm just not going to do it. And really there's a final reason. There's actually four. One is someone who just puts it off. You know, just puts off making the decision. It's called procrastination. The thing is, that's a dangerous thing to do, my friend, because it's like getting a little bit of the truth, but then you... If you don't respond to it, you become inoculated to it, it could be said. And it becomes easier and easier to say no. And I, I just want to put a little squeeze on this moment because seriously, the next few moments here are so important. You say, well, Greg, what must I do to receive Christ? Recognize what he's done for you. He loves you with everything. He died on the cross for you. I mean, when's the last time someone died for you? He laid his life down for you. He's madly in love with you, wants the best for you, and is fighting for it. He wants to forgive you of your sins. Good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven people do. He wants you to be forgiven. Jesus resurrected from the dead. He's alive. He's coming again. I recognize what he's done. Then I need to repent. Course correct. Jesus said a broad way leads to destruction. You need to course correct and follow Christ. And the Bible says that those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. He really is just a prayer away. So how many of you say, you know, Greg, I want to I open the door of my heart. I want to take that first step. Man, that's the most reasonable, beautiful thing you could ever do. And if, if that's you, I want to lead you in a word of prayer right where you're seated. And this is a prayer of asking Christ to come into your life and forgive you and give you hope beyond the grave. So pray with me. And church family, if you want to join in, that would be great.
Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me, paying the debt of my sin. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, come into my life and fill me with the life of God. Teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for forgiving me, dying for me, resurrecting from the dead. I believe it. Help me now to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I want to thank you that you always hear that prayer. You know, just as you heard the cry of Bartimaeus, whether that prayer was vocalized or in the heart, I I just thank you. You draw near to those who draw near to you. And I thank you, Lord, that once you come into our life, you begin a good work that that you will finish. So, Lord, I just pray for those who prayed that prayer, their next step of growing as believers, they would step into it and that this season of their life would be the most wonderful season of their lives because now you indwell them and they're your son or your daughter and they have right relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.